Seven SEC teams hit the field this weekend for spring games, plus there's an uncertain future ahead after the new NCAA transfer exemption rule. We'll discuss it all next. I'm Jay Smith, and this is After Further Review. And now, after further review, a Clemson student's perspective on sports. And the personal foul on number 99 of the defense. After he tackled the quarterback, he's giving them business down there. That's a 15 yard penalty. Well, welcome in, everyone. I'm Jay Smith, and yes, this is After Further Review. Thanks so much for tuning in. Sorry about no show last week. Uh, man, I tell you what, this, is, this has been a crazy month for me. I'm finishing up last semester of, of graduate school, graduate May 1st. And I've just had a lot going on uh, between trying to finish up classes and exams and, and, and actually doing a few job interviews. It's just been really, really crazy. So I haven't had a ton of time to do shows, but I've still been paying attention and, and been uh, keeping up with what's going on. And this is a big weekend. I, I mentioned it on the previous show that we did two weeks ago, how um, you know the SEC was you know like the ACC and that they had already kind of planned out all of their uh, spring games and, and, and most of them were scheduled and that this would be a big weekend for the SEC specifically. And there's seven, uh, teams in action this, this weekend. So you've got half the conference hosting their spring games. And that's, that's going to give us a glimpse into what each team will look like in the fall of, uh, of this year. And, um, you know, we will kind of go through the list here. We'll talk about each team, uh, obviously, a lot of eyes are going to be on Alabama, defending national champions. Um, you know, after their win over Ohio State. So, let's talk about each team in the SEC that's playing this weekend, and and what we can uh, what we can expect. You know, for for Alabama, um, as we saw last year, offense, you know, won them their championship. Right? It wasn't defensive performance. It wasn't defensive dominance. Uh, we saw how they played against Old Miss and other opponents throughout the year, and it was a really off year for Alabama defensively. So offense was driving the bus, and it's you know it's all starting with with Bryce Young uh, at quarterback. Um, you know this is a uh, you know five star guy, uh, the number two overall player from the class of 2020, and there's a lot of buzz right now in Tuscaloosa about again about Young and what kind of role he's going to have. Um, this year as a, you know, it's coming off of his freshman season last year. Um, also, I think we're going to see a little bit of a transformation with the Alabama offense. Uh, you've got first year, uh, coordinator Bill O'Brien at the helm now leading the offense. So I think you, you might see a little bit of a different style. Uh, O'Brien has a lot of experience with, with mobile quarterbacks, uh, that have live arms. You know, you think his time with, uh, at the Texans with Deshaun Watson, uh, and that's sort of how uh, Young is, you know, when you compare him to last year's starter, Mac Jones. You know, Bryce Young is a little bit more mobile, a little bit, uh, a little bit, you know, more of a scrambler than, than Mac Jones. And um, some people have already come out and said, oh, Young is going to be you know, twice as good as Jones. Uh, I'm not, you know, I'm not going to pass any judgment yet. I want to watch the spring game, and I really want to see how Young responds um, throughout the season to tough situations before, you know, you can say whether or not he's going to be a better, um, player than, than Mac Jones. But, uh, you know, for, again, for Alabama, um, 
I think watching the offense is going to be the key thing for this for this weekend in the spring game, and that starts all with with Bryce Young and and how he performs and what he does and what sort of schemes and situations that Bill O'Brien, again the new offensive coordinator, uh, puts you know out there on the field, and and so I think you know it'll be a good spring game to watch, especially if you're interested uh, in in the offensive side of things. For Georgia, let's let's move on now to Georgia. Talk about the Bulldogs. Um, this is, you know, a less optimistic, um, spring game than maybe Alabama, who's again, the defending national title, because really for Georgia, it's, it's who's stepping up, um, and kind of filling, you know, the, 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 the empty spots, the gaps, if you will, um, on their roster. And, you know, George Pickens, their star wide receiver had an ACL injury earlier this spring. And so now Georgia really is hunting for, uh, who's going to be that standout guy at, at wide receiver? Um, because right now they don't really have a good uh, deep threat, uh, you know, capable of, of taking the top off of a defense. And so um, I think you know it's it's really Georgia is is really um, in more of a proving grounds type spring game um, than than some of the other teams that we're going to talk about on the list. Uh, now they have three receivers, Demetrius Robertson, Karis Jackson, and Arian Smith, uh, who should get meaningful snaps on Saturday. Uh, if I had to go with, if I were to pick who I think will be the the standout of those three, I think it, uh, it could be between, uh, Robertson, um, or, or Jackson. Uh, now Karis Jackson actually led Georgia in receiving last year. Um, over George Pickens again, the, the receiver who went out with the ACL injury. But uh, I don't know. It's it, it's it's still someone's going to have to step up. Someone's going to have to fill that gap. You know, be the guy, the go-to guy. And we're going to get an idea of who that might be on Saturday for for Georgia. That's really the bottom line. That's the only thing. You know, if you're in Athens, if you're a Georgia Bulldog fan, that's all you really should be paying attention to this Saturday is. Which of our receivers is stepping up, making plays, and is is kind of being the de facto guy on the field? Um, you know, Georgia's running backs and their offensive line should be fine. They have a lot of depth there. Georgia, you know, churns out star running backs. It seems like every year. Um, so I'm not worried about them there or in the trenches. But if they can develop a really potent wide receiving group, uh, wide receiver group. You know, having that deep threat and and being able to uh, you know get huge chunk plays is I think going to benefit them tremendously this fall, especially in the SEC. So Georgia is is I've heard a lot of conversation about people picking them as a you know they're kind of a trendy national champion pick uh, this spring, and I think right now they're still in that pretender category. But in order for them to become a contender. They need to get the wide receiver issues uh, figured out, and I, I think Georgia. I think they can do it, but there's just too much unknown for me right now to put Georgia in a contender category. So I, I again, I'm I'm keeping them in the in the contend in the pretender category, uh, but there's still you know some opportunity, and it should be an interesting game on Saturday to watch. Okay, let's talk about Auburn. Now the Auburn Tigers, um, they had. An off year last year. They didn't have the year I was expecting. I thought Bo Nix, sophomore season at Auburn, was was really going to um, kind of 
build upon what he did his freshman season. Didn't really end up being the case. A lot of inconsistency. Um, you know, obviously you've got, uh, you know, Malzahn now over at, what is he? I think he's at, at Central, is he Central Florida? Um, you know, because it, it, I, I actually saw a press conference of, um, yeah, he is. He's at, he's at the University of Central Florida, UCF. I saw him at a press conference and, you know, he's wearing his typical uh, Malzahn vest and it was a, a, a Knights logo. And I was like, oh, this is going to take some getting used to. Um, but yeah, I'm guessing Malzahn, uh, now obviously out at, uh, at, at Auburn. And so, you know, Brian Harson is, is, uh, is leading the helm now for the Auburn Tigers. And, you know, it's, it's kind of a, the, the dawn of a, of a new era, if you will, at, at Auburn. And so I think for them, you know, the focus here has got to be, um, you know, on, on, the offensive line, because there was a lot of issues with Auburn's offensive line last season, but also, uh, you know, on on the defensive side of things. Again, there was just a lot of inconsistency across all different um, pieces of, of Auburn's, um, you know, team last year, whether it was offense, defense, or a little bit of special teams. Um, now, Bo Nix is coming back, right? He's a junior, uh, and I already mentioned, at, you know, when I first talked about Auburn, the Bo Nix was like a deer in headlights last year. Um, you know, he was not comfortable. He didn't ever seem like he was in much of a rhythm. Uh, at times, you know, he would start scrambling and there wasn't even really anybody rushing him. The, you know, the pocket hadn't collapsed yet and Nix is already scrambling and, and trying to dump the ball off. So I'm not sure uh, what sort of steps Auburn has taken this offseason to, to sort of correct that behavior. I'm hopeful that Bo Nix can at least return to the level of production we saw his freshman year because Bo Nix freshman year was really a standout uh, player. And uh, I think Auburn, again, they have the pieces. It's just a matter of putting them together. Now, does that happen this year? Uh, Maybe, maybe not. Uh, But I think if this is, if this is used as more of a developmental year, again, you got a first year head coach, Brian Harson. I think, uh, you know, you can maybe make Bo Nix's senior year a special year in uh, for for Auburn. So again, biggest things to look at this weekend for Auburn is going to be, you know, how does Bo Nix play, but also, you know, the offensive line, uh, the the defense, um, and just you know how the uh, players look on the sideline, mannerisms, body language. You know, again, new coach, new era. So there's a lot of a lot of change. There's a big transition, and I mean, Old Miss went through that uh, last year, right, with with Lane Kiffin and a first year coach, and uh, obviously, you know, there was almost an immediate change in just the swagger and the mentality and the confidence of the program, and you know, that's a, a tangible thing that players and fans can feel, and you know, you saw the the, the success that Old Miss had last year, and and again, starting to kind of rebuild. And get back to the mentality of, you know, we can compete for a division title. Maybe we can possibly compete for an SEC championship. They're not there yet. Uh, They need to get their defense figured out. But they're still building pieces to the puzzle. For LSU, oh boy. Uh, (laughs) You know, it was funny because after the championship season for them in 2019, I just came out and said, you know, I was like, they're going to be awful next year. They're going to be 500 
they're 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 not going to win many big games. And at the time, people said, "Oh no, they'll they'll reload. They'll be back in the playoff. They're going to win an SEC championship." And then they went 500. They barely went 500. Uh, lost to Mississippi State in the opener, and it didn't take long for all those people down there in Baton Rouge to to, to stop running their mouths. Uh, now, for LSU this season and this particular spring game, it's really kind of the Bo Pelini hangover because Bo Pelini, you know, came in as as the the new defensive coordinator uh, for LSU. Uh, there was a lot of hype and just kind of fizzled out, right? I mean, just you know, not great play um, throughout the entire season. Uh, really ticked off a lot of LSU fans. Now, I think, in all honesty, I think most of that anger was a result of unrealistic expectations of LSU fans pretending like they were somehow going to be able to just compete for a national title or compete at a national level the following year when they had lost their offensive coordinator, their defensive coordinator, basically their entire start. Like it just, it was completely unrealistic what the expectations coming out out of uh, Baton Rouge were. And I said that at the time, I said, this is crazy. They're, they're, they're not going to be good. They're not going to be good. They're going to struggle. Um, and they did mightily. And so, you know, you look at Bo Pelini's numbers for his defense, they finished next to last in the SEC in yards per play allowed uh, 7.26. They finished 10th in scoring defense, 34.9 points per game. Again, these are SEC ranks. So 10th in the SEC in scoring defense with 35 points per game. And last in opponent plays of 20 yards or more, 79. They were they allowed 79 plays of 20 yards or more last season in the SEC. That is 20 plays behind 13th place, which you probably guessed it was Vanderbilt. So not only were they the the bottom of the conference on defense, which is saying something because Ole Miss statistically had the worst defense in the country last year, but they were way behind even next to last with Vanderbilt uh, in, in huge chunk plays. And there's no, you know, when you when you're in a game and you're trying to get momentum, there is a there's no better way for a team to establish momentum than to get these huge chunk plays, and that's what LSU allowed, um, you know, <clears throat> basically all season. And uh, you know you've got a new defensive coordinator in there, uh, Deontay Jones. He's taken over uh, for Pelini. Listen, LSU has talent, okay? I, just because they lost everybody doesn't mean that the next class coming in isn't talented, okay? This is this is LSU, okay? They they have talent down there. And this is a talented group on defense. Um, you know, you just, you're going to have to take a little bit of time to develop these guys and get them back to that point where the LSU faithful think they should be. Uh, you got junior defensive back, Derek Stingley, uh, he's coming back. Defensive lineman, uh, Glenn Logan, Allie Gay, and you got a lot of upperclassmen across the jet, uh, across the death chart. Really, um, there's a lot of upperclassmen on this on this roster for LSU. They don't lack studs at skill positions. Okay, LSU has the weapons um, on the offensive side of the ball, on the defensive side of the ball. They just got to be decent. And they got to be consistent. And they had none of that last year. So I think if LSU just 
tempers their expectations, tries to compete in each game they play, they should be back in the mix in the SEC West. Now, I'm not going to sit here and pretend like they're going to win the SEC West. They're not. But they they should be in the mix. Last year, they were never in the mix. Last year, they were trying to not miss a bowl game. I mean, it was it was embarrassing, really, even though, again, some of us saw it coming. Uh, so for LSU, again, kind of that hangover from last year left a bad taste in their mouth. Coach O's seat even got a little bit warm there towards the end. This is a big year for him. If, if they come out and, and struggle a lot this season and finish at or below 500, I mean, I'm not saying that he would get fired from LSU, but it would be almost a Gene Chizik level of, of uh, decline, you know, back in, was it 2010 when Gene Chizik at Auburn won with Cam Newton, the national title, and then two years later, I think he went 3-9 and nine and they, they fired him. So I don't know if, if LSU is going to go 3-9 and nine this year, and I don't expect Coach O to get fired, but again... This is a big year for him. You know, the, the, that national title feels like a long time ago for all those Tiger faithful. And so they really um, they really need to perform better and more consistently this coming year. Arkansas now. Arkansas is up next. Let's talk about the Razorbacks. Um, this, this is really more of a quarterback-type spring game. Uh, this is a, a um, you know, a, uh, I guess, a battle between... Um, you know, a couple of quarterbacks. You've got a uh, red shirt sophomore, KJ Jefferson. Uh, he's taken, uh, taken over, um, for, uh, Felipe Franks and KJ's a, you know, a bit of a, a dual threat guy. Um, you know, last year he, uh, he got a little bit of playing time and, uh, and, you know, was able to prove his skills, um, with, with throwing the ball, running the ball, um, you know, he's a four-star prospect, and Arkansas is a pretty loaded offense. Um, and, you know, you've, you've got a lot of, uh, of skilled players um, that can make plays. And, you know, Sam Pittman now is in his second year at the helm uh, for Arkansas. And, you know, if, if, if Pittman and Jefferson are kind of able to get things going for the Razorbacks, uh, I think, you know, they can have a great season. He's a little bit, Jefferson's a little bit more mobile than Felipe Franks uh, was. And so that, that'll allow for a little bit more creativity with the offensive play calling. Um, you know, but I think this Saturday is really going to be about, you know, KJ Jefferson, how accurate is his deep ball? You know, you know, what's, uh, you know, it's really just going to be about his arm. It's, I don't see, I don't think we're going to see his legs very much against spring game quarterback. Don't want to take hits. Uh, but you know, deep ball, what, what his accuracy looks like and, and, what sort of season can Arkansas have with those uh, weapons? Let's talk about Mississippi State. This is um, this is going to be, I think, an interesting spring game to to watch. Um, again, Mike Leach, uh, first year coach, first first season rather was was last year uh, down in Starkville. This is going to be his second season at the helm of Mississippi State. Um, they didn't have a terrible year last year. But that air raid offense didn't really pan out like I think he was expecting it would. It worked well against LSU in the season opener, and then it really fizzled. And um, you know, you you had uh, Will Rogers came in midseason for KJ Costello, and, and he played pretty well last year. He went um, he had eleven passing touchdowns with 
nine or seven, excuse me, seven interceptions. Um, Leach also brought in uh, former Southern Miss starter Jack Abraham, and he you know kind of created a little bit of a competition between Abraham and Rodgers just to again have another option out there for that air raid offense. Um, you know, Leach's uh, whole offensive system is basically it comes down to the signal caller, right? The quarterback, their ability to consistently move the change since running isn't as much a factor in this, in this air raid style offense. So, you know, there's a little bit of a QB battle down in Starkville between Jack Abraham and and Will Rogers. But uh, I think Leach is going to be looking for the guy that can kind of open things up offensively on Saturday and see which of his two front runners for that starting QB position can handle that and can feel comfortable and confident that they're able to move the chains and give Mississippi State a little bit more consistency on offense this season. So should be an interesting game to watch uh, down in Starkville. Okay, let's talk about Vanderbilt now. Uh, yeah, we're, we're going to talk about Vanderbilt. They, they're still playing a game, and they still matter. Um, they had a lot of struggles last season, um, specifically in the in the secondary. Uh, now you got a new head coach in uh, Clark Lay, and he obviously has an uphill battle, right? He's he's coaching in his alma mater, um, trying to get him back to just consistent bowl contention. I think is a good goal for for Vanderbilt, and really that starts with fixing the secondary because as we talked about with LSU's defense, right, with the you know, chunk plays of, of 20 yards or more, LSU was dead last, Vanderbilt was second to last. So it's a it's a problem for, for Vanderbilt, and they need to, um, you know, really uh, lock down the secondary and prevent teams from just going straight over the top and, and scoring uh, so quickly. Uh, they gave up almost 300 yards per game through the air, uh, last season. They only had two interceptions all year. So again, secondary was really a, hardly a factor in a lot of their games. And it was just, you know, teams would just throw the ball up down the field, get the reception, get the touchdown, move on, you know, put the second string in the second half. And so it's a bit of an uphill battle for the Commodores. But uh, I think, you know, with, with, with this new head coach here in Clark Lay, I think um, you know, he has shown his resume. Uh, he's produced uh, top 10 passing defenses uh, twice in the, in the last three years at Notre Dame. Um, so I think, you know, this guy has, has shown that he has uh, an ability to, to, you know, cultivate good defenses. And, um, you know, obviously the offense is important for Vanderbilt. You know, you got quarterback Kevin Seals, uh, under center, and, and he's going to get some playing time and some snaps. But for Vanderbilt, really the focus should be on getting the defense figured out. And, um, you know, if they can do that, get back to consistent bowl contention, I think the, you know, the trajectory of the program is is going to, you know, go up. So, all right, those are the seven SEC spring games that are in action this weekend. Again, be sure to, to check out uh, as many as you can. They should be really, I think, ex- fun, exciting games to watch. And, uh, you know, I'm looking forward to, uh, to watching them this weekend. All right, let's take a break. And when we come back, we're going to do uh, a, a little, a little 
discussion on the newly announced NCAA transfer rules and what that means for the future of college football. Don't miss that. It's next. Welcome back to the show. Again, thanks so much for tuning in to After Further Review. I'm Jay Smith, and I'm excited to be bringing you another episode, man. It's it's a crazy time just trying to finish up school and possibly lock down a, a job here in the next few weeks. Um, you know, just, just you know, I had a lot going on, but I enjoy doing these shows. And, you know, d- during the offseason is a little bit more challenging to, to find topics uh, that... Um, you know, to, to talk about and discuss, but there's always something going on with college football. And, um, you know, I'm looking forward to the fall when just games every weekend and, and, you know, I don't have to sit here and brainstorm and go, well, what should we talk about this week? You know, it's just, it's just obvious. And, um, you know, like I said, I appreciate all of those uh, who have been tuning in uh, throughout uh, the off season. Uh, we've had some really great numbers um, in listenership for the for the podcast, and I'm really excited to see those continue to go up. So it is very much appreciated. Let's talk about now. Let's talk about the uh, the, the new uh, decision out of the NCAA. Uh, they have adopted uh, this one-time transfer legislation, and and so players and coaches and teams are going to have to start navigating uh, this this sort of stuff. Uh, this was made by the NCAA Division One Council um, last, or it'll be. It, it was. It was. It was passed by that council. It will have to be ratified by the board of directors for the NCAA. So it's it's not official yet, but it has passed probably its most difficult test, which is getting past the NCAA Division One Council. Um, and again, yesterday, if, if you haven't seen the news, on, on Thursday, yesterday, the NCAA Division I Council formally approved a transfer legislation that allows all athletes in the five, quote, revenue sports, one free transfer in their careers without sitting out a year in residence. Uh, and again, the board of directors is expected to approve that legislation when it meets on April 28th, so later this month. Um, so on its face, what, what does this mean? Well, it means that you know transfer freedom is going to be the latest uh, development in kind of the, the shrinking uh, reach and authority of the NCAA. Um, you know, this is, this is something that, uh, in just doing some research on this, that you know, uh, people within the organization, within the NCAA have said, you know, we were probably going to be sued by this. Um, you know, it's a bit of an, an antiquated rule that exposed them to legal liability because, you know, it was, it was, it was hypocritical. How can you say that, you know, as the NCAA, how can you say that the student athlete experience should mirror that of the normal student when, if you're in one of those five quote, revenue sports, football, men's and women's basketball, baseball, and hockey, you're forced to sit out if you transfer for, for a year, while athletes in 19 other sports do not. And, you know, again, if you're trying to mirror the experience of a normal student, there's nothing really normal about making those, those athletes sit out, again, in men's and women's basketball, football, baseball, and, and hockey. So the rule change is, is probably long overdue, and it's, it's about really treating college athletes across 
every sport really the same. And, uh, you know, it's, it's going to be, um, it's pretty unprecedented transfer freedom, you know, because, uh, and again, this is, these are some quotes here from some articles I found. Uh, one was from a power five football assistant, you know, saying people say it's like NFL free agency. You hear that all the time. No, it's not. And that was a, again, a direct quote. Uh, he went on to say that the NFL has a cap and they can pay money. You can outbid somebody, but in college, you just got to out BS somebody. So, you know, it's, um, it's obviously, it wasn't fair that athletes in those five sports were being treated differently. Um, but you know, you know, now athletes are going to be able to transfer where they feel the most comfortable, where they think they're going to get playing time. And that's going to have a huge impact on big time college football programs. Because, you know, how many times do you you know, hear about these kids that are four or five stars, they commit to a program, they get there, there's good competition at their skill position, and then all of a sudden they're not making the roster and they're complaining about the lack of playing time. Well, now they can just transfer with with no penalty. Um, And so that really brings into question the future of of what does college football look like now that there's this sort of open revolving door policy on transfers. And Dan Mullen, uh, Florida head coach, actually – commented on this uh, a few days ago when he said that he thinks college football will be very different in a couple of years from now. He he went on to say he can't, you know, I don't know if it'll be better or worse, but it'll be different. Um, So again, I think that answer to me shows, well, he doesn't, we don't really know. We don't really know. It's uncharted water. Uh, You know, we're all kind of going by the seat of our pants here. And that's uh, for... (laughs) For anyone, whether it's uh, you know fans or coaches or administrators, that's an unnerving thing because you don't know, uh, you know what your roster is going to look like and 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 what's subject to change. But let's kind of break it down and, and go through each of the elements of of this particular um, rule change. And the first one, the most most obvious one, is that there are more players in the transfer portal than there are available scholarships. Okay, that's that's number one. Um, that's pretty much, you know, widely known fact in, in college football and basketball. There are more than 1,000 football players in the transfer portal alone. So over a thousand football players. If you assume that every FBS program, all 130 has, let's say five scholarships to give out, which that's much higher than, uh, reality, but let's just pretend that each each FBS program, all 130, have five scholarships. That's 650 scholarships. And again, there's over 1,000 football players in the transfer portal. So once you declare for the portal, you're kind of floating out there in space because a coach can cancel your scholarship. If you declare for a transfer portal, a coach cancels your scholarship. Unless you're somebody like Trevor Lawrence, right? you're you're kind of out in the wilderness on your own. You know, you leave the pack, the pack leaves you, and you just hope that you find another pack before the wolves get you at night. I mean, that's that's sort of what we're <clears throat> that's sort of what we're looking at here. Um, now we have seen some administrators uh, at programs kind of you know they're they're like, oh, what about what about the kids? You know, and and my response to that is, well, they didn't really care about the kids when they were blocking transfers. So I don't understand how you can have that mindset now. But 
the, the the hard numbers here are are that you know again you have more people in the transfer portal than available scholarships. About thirty percent of of underclassmen who declare for the NFL draft in any given year are not selected, and that number really doesn't fluctuate very much, um, despite you know all the advantages. Um, but I mean, listen, you know, I think this this portal, this transfer portal imbalance is not going to be fixed anytime soon. Um, life is not fair, but that's not really a reason to deny players their option, the freedom to choose. If, if you want to go in the transfer portal and you want to lose your scholarship and your possible starting position at a program that recruited you, you know, as a four or five star, that's fine. You just have to live with that decision because, you know, you, you, the grass is always greener on the other side until you get to the other side of the hill and you realize that it's all been fried by the sun. So I don't, I don't know what the future of college football is going to look like, uh, you know, four five, you know, even 10 years down the road. Um, but it's, it's really, I think, going to open the door for a lot of uncertainty on the part of, again, coaches and administrators trying to kind of get their rosters in check, um, you know, because if a player is unhappy with playing time, they want to be closer to home. I mean, think about all the reasons, again, that players have listed uh, when it comes to to wanting to transfer. And then you got the idea of a, of a graduate transfer, right? So, I mean, you know, are you going to deny a senior who wants his master's the ability to transfer for a second time? Um, so it's probably not just going to be a one-time transfer exemption. I could see this becoming just an infinite number of, of transfer exemptions. Um, so you're really you're opening a bit of a Pandora's box here. But for we've t- we talked about how it affects players for for coaches and administrate and administrators. It's roster management. That's the key here. That something has to be done about teams that are hit hard. By transfers, and it, you know, especially after spring practice, once the roster's finalized and guys know where they are on the depth chart, you know, if you got a bunch of guys transferring and leaving, um, that can be really catastrophic for a football program because you go into the fall and you have no depth. You have one to two injuries, you're you're back at square one. Um, you know, if, if you let's say let's let's take the most obvious example, okay? Let's say a quarterback loses a position battle at the end of spring practice. Okay? So he's not starting. He announces he's going to transfer. Uh, now, multiply that over several positions on the same team. The, you know, the, the second string running back transfers. Uh, the, the third string wide receiver transfers. Uh, maybe the second string linebacker. You know, he, All of a sudden, you're like, wait a minute, where did my entire depth chart go? <clears throat> and so, again, I think for these schools, um, you know, the, people have not really thought about the implications of that. Uh, Dan Mullen, actually, going back to the article that I um, referenced earlier where he was quoted, he, he went on to give an example and he said, listen, you know, each year you're allowed 25 scholarships. He said, so let's say we've signed 23, we finish spring ball, and six kids enter the portal. I, now I can only sign two. So that's a net loss of four players. And if a coach leaves a program, think about the mass transfers that could occur there, whether it's they're following the coach to the new program 
or they the program's in shambles and they're just you know I mean that that is that sort of situation is almost like a death penalty for a program. I mean, it really, really is. Um, you know, there's, uh, there's, there's some thought out there that maybe that 25 signees could be dropped as long as programs adhere to the 85-man scholarship maximum. So, I mean, again, it's, it's all up in the air um, in terms of, of how the roster management is going to work. But I think, you know, uh, the head coaches are going to have a lot to think about now in the coming years. Um, you know, and, and listen, th- these guys are getting paid millions of dollars. Uh, they're doing a lot more than just coaching the games. They're, they're managing entire organizations. And so the jobs aren't easy and they're stressful. And so that's part of the responsibilities of being a head coach, especially <clears throat> at a you know, a big time college football program. Um, so I think it'll be interesting to see going down the road, you know, what this looks like. Uh, another interesting um, element of this is a uh, is the APR rating. Now, if you're not familiar, the APR's academic progress rate, it's used annually as a measure of team academic achievement. Basically, it's to determine eligibility for postseason competition, right? If you're in the NCAA uh, and you're, you know, fielding a team and you don't measure up, you can receive a postseason ban. So it's an incentive for, you know, athletes to go to class, to participate, those sorts of things. Um, but, you know, that number is is factored from, you know, you get retention points. Teams get retention points for every player on the roster that, that stays another year. They get a point for each athlete, that stays in school, that's enrolled, and is academically eligible. Uh, And you have to achieve an APR of 930 to compete in championships. Now, during COVID, that that number was suspended um, because you had all these opt-outs, and that was affecting that 930 number. So the NCAA just said, we're going to remove that. Uh, from our requirements for now, I'm not sure what it will look like going forward. It'll probably be, it'll still exist. It might just be a reduced number or it'll be calculated differently. But that is another thing to consider that most people, myself included really, had never even considered, you know, what are the what are the NCAA requirements to field a team in a championship? Because I mean, how often do you hear about a school? I mean, can you imagine if, if Alabama was somehow ineligible for the national championship because of a, an arbitrary number in the NCAA like requirements. You know I mean? That's like, that's just, um, I mean, the rule would have been changed. I'm sure just like Ohio state, the big 10 changed their rules so that Ohio state could get in their conference championship. Uh, but it's just, you know, it's another thing to consider and I'm not sure really what will, what will happen with that, with that uh, rating scale uh, in the, in the near future. Uh, one last thing before we wrap up this show, one last thing to to mention um, as it relates to this, this this transfer rule is that tampering is really going to become a problem. And let's not pretend like it's not already a problem, you know, where you know that, um, you know, you got coaches and trainers and parents and teammates kind of luring kids into different schools. Now, though, with these doors more wide open, tampering is really going to be, it's going to come out in the open. And it used to be kind of a closed door, you know, 
hush-hush type thing. And, um, you know, it, it, now it's now it's more about somebody makes a phone call and says, hey, we got a scholarship at our school. Is the kid interested? And, and it's just much more open and obvious that it's all going on. Um, and, you know, several coaches have said, listen, once a guy enters the transfer portal, it's almost too late to go after them because, you know, they, they've already been convinced either by themselves or, or by other individuals that they should transfer. And so it's, it's going to be really, really hard. Uh, and coaches, you've even seen this recently. I think most obvious has been the college football playoff politics and coaches having to get up and give speeches about why their team deserves a spot. What you're going to start seeing, though, for fairly soon are, are political speeches from coaches who are going to have to get up and, and kind of resell their program uh, especially when they're going through a rocky patch. So, again, as as Dan Mullen said, uh, we mentioned it earlier. He's you know he knows that this is going to change college football. We just don't know how it's going to change college football down the road. We know the immediate impacts. We've just talked about them, but the the future of college football <clears throat> with this particular rule change is is yet to be determined. So, I'm not sure, but. This is, uh, this is, like I said, something we'll keep an eye on, and, and we'll be sure to discuss it if there are any new um, reports on it, or again, with the NCAA Board of Directors ratifies the decision on April 28th. So, But either way, that has been it for this edition of After Further Review. Again, be sure to tune in to those spring games uh, this weekend. There's seven of them going on in the SEC. Should be a lot of fun to watch. And hopefully we'll have a show next week. Not not exactly sure. Again, there's just so much going on right now that um, I don't know if I'll be able to get one. I, I finish classes uh, next week, and then I have my finals week the following. So again, there's just there's so much going on right now. But I'll try and keep everybody in the loop. And again, I appreciate uh, you know everyone who's been listening because again the viewership and the listenership has been uh, has been steadily going up. So. Very much appreciated. But enjoy your weekends. Enjoy your spring college football. And I'll see you soon. I'm Jay Smith, and this has been After Further Review.